We're going to read our scripture lessons today. Psalm 133 is our first text. You'll see where that is found in your pew Bible if you don't have your regular Bible with you. You're always welcome to just sit back and listen to it read. It's about unity. Listen here to God's Word. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Amen. Our Gospel lesson is from John chapter 17. Jesus' high priestly prayer. We'll be reading verses 17 through 23. Jesus' high priestly prayer is an honor to the Father, but it's an intercession on behalf of His people down through the ages. Again, listen here to God's Word. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. For the glory which you have given me, I have given to them." that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Amen. Then our epistle reading is from Romans chapter 12, the first five verses. Again, listen here to God's Word. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Amen. Well, you can see we have a fellow in our chancel area who isn't ordinarily there. That's Dennis Barger. Uh, he's a young man who was, well, he, you're not young anymore. As a young man, this old man was uh, redeemed, was found by God, and he gave great glory through the ministry of Lighty's Church, among other things. And uh, we have sent him out as a missionary in years gone by. Uh, he's come back and he's, he's been a pastor for a while. He's, we support him now for a number of years with the Dreams Alive ministry in the Middle East uh, among 
Christians and Muslims and things going on there, and he's here to preach today. Uh, he was with us. He was our leader at our consistory retreat this weekend up in Rock, PA. So uh, I want to welcome Danny, invite him to go up here and take his freedom. Shake my hand and give me a hug, brother. Okay. God bless you. <laughs> there's no clock back there. Yeah, there's no clock. We trust you. Uh-oh. Super Bowl doesn't start till 6.30. All right. I like that. You know, when you preach in the Middle East, they don't expect you to go home in 40 minutes. That's when the first sermon is over. And then somebody else will come up and get another sermon. Well, we won't do that to you. But Yes, John is absolutely right. Uh, in this church, through this, the love of this church, 44 years ago, I gave my heart to the Lord. Some of you are still here uh, that were around back then. A lot of you are moved on to glory, I trust, you know, because this was a place where God's word was taught efficiently and succinctly. And, uh, you know, it was taught so well. Is that Bill? Hi, Bill. I'm sorry. I haven't seen him in a dog's age. This is great. Man, I did a funeral a couple of weeks, uh, about a month or so ago for my aunt. She was 98, and I actually saw cousins I hadn't seen in 50 years. You know, some of you aren't 50 years old, so that doesn't matter about anything. But, um, yeah, so a year after I got saved, this beautiful, the most beautiful girl in Lighty's Fellowship married me. And it was not in the old church, but the old, old church, okay, if, if any of you were around for that. And it's been good. And I want to tell you something. The Word was so important, and it is God's Word that transforms us, as we just said, or as we just read. Uh, But the thing is, that the thing that attracted me was the love of the people. They cared about me, and I knew they weren't making it up. So that's real important. And you may expect me to be here teaching about missions. I'm not going to do that because our consistory uh, retreat had to do with leading as a team. And I wanted to continue that theme, if you will, this morning and look at these words, one another. Uh, You can go ahead, where's Brian? There he is. You can put that slide up. I like to use slides. I'm used to uh, teaching people whose English isn't necessarily their first language. So uh, you can follow along there. This idea of one another is so important that, uh, I I don't know if you're aware of it, but it's repeated 94 times just in the New Testament. I'm not gonna hold you captive and look at every one of those 94 verses. Uh, But I hope you will. I hope you'll get a concordance, or today you can go on Google, you know, and just type in one another, the Bible, and you'll see all these other ones. Uh, And and it's not necessarily things we're to do, But by being saved and taking on the nature of God himself, he he becomes a part of us, he weaves himself into our being. Uh, This is kind of a natural outpouring. And while it could be applied outside of the church, it is specifically applied within the church. We are a body of believers. Uh, It's fascinating in those um, 94 verses, there are three themes that emerge out of those, and they are unity, love, and humility. And the most common one of the three is uh, unity, giving 
the life of God that he's poured into us and giving that to one another and blessing one another. It's important to God. Why would that be important to God? Because he knows that it is this unity, this love for one another that actually gives us hope in life. You know, there's a lot of people that aren't in church this morning think you're crazy for being here. You ever feel that? That's one reason I like to go to church, because I can look around and say, well, I'm not the only crazy one. There's all these others, you know? It gives me strength to continue through the week by being amongst the believers. And we're actually specifically told, do not give up on the gathering together. Uh, I think that's in Hebrew somewhere. I'm getting old. John, you're right. And I forget where things are, but I got some notes. If I stick to them, we'll be all right. Well, to help us understand about this unity, I want to point out to you that picture. And this is a, a sequoia redwood tree. And it's an amazing tree. Uh, these huge trees are out in California, northern California. They're the largest living things on earth. My wife told me the other day she thinks I'm competing with them. <laughs> she scolded me. She said, I used to be able to hold my hands as I put my arms around your body. I said, well, honey, you did promise in thick or thin. <laughs> used to have thin. Now you got thick. Praise the Lord. Anyway, the sequoia, I'm sorry, the sequoia, you know what? If you love the Lord, you got to laugh, right? I mean, we of all people should be the happiest people on the planet. You know, when you go into work on Monday morning, anybody ever say to you, why are you so happy it's Monday morning? I said, well, the, Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Why shouldn't I be happy? You know, when I get out of this crummy job, I'm going to die and go to heaven. This is great. I always say I've met so many Christians that look like they were baptized in pickle juice. I don't like that. Well, who cares, you know? Anyway, so these redwood trees are amazing. They're like, some of them are over 300 feet tall. They're, some of them are 2,500 years old. That's as old as our faith, you know? It's just amazing, uh, these trees. And you would think with something so tall that the roots would maybe go down about 100 feet, but they don't. Um, the roots are only about 6 to 12 feet deep on a tree that could be 300 feet high. That's amazing. Now, why? You know, you would think in a strong windstorm those trees would fall over. But if you thought that, you'd be wrong. Because though, even though the roots aren't deep, they're intertwined with one another. Brian, throw the next one up, will you? There's this intertwining root system. And I believe we can learn from that because healthy Christians are not Christians that blow in and blow out. They're Christians that get involved with one another. If you can look at that and think about this church, we could be majestic as the Redwoods if we only held arms together, linked lives together. And so when those storms come, and storms will come in your life, they will come, there's no doubt about it. But when they come, what a beautiful thing that we can be here in the midst of a whole bunch of other majestic redwoods. And they'll help us stand strong. Like John, I have six kids. We have a house of drama. 
Sue and I used to go back to Bahrain where we were ministering for the, uh, about seven years. And, and when, we would get, when the airplane would land, we'd go out. And the first thing that hit us was the heat. It was hot. It would get to 114, 115 degrees over there. But then we would just look at each other and go, ah, we're back in our happy place. No more drama. Now, who would think you could go live in the Middle East and not have drama? Okay? But if you have a family, if you live this life, troubles are going to come. And it's so amazing that you can go in the congregation and there are, like if you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about, right? But there are older people here who've been through the teenage years and survived. They can be with you to pray with you and comfort you and strengthen you. Hey, some of you guys, your marriages aren't so hot every day. Every day. There are people here that have been through that. They know what it's like to argue with a, a loved one, you know, and to work things out. This is the beauty of God's church. We prevent the adversaries from life from knocking us down. We hold each other up. We build each other up. So just try and think of yourself as a giant redwood tree, okay? Aren't you glad I didn't say a giant oak tree? If I said a giant oak tree, that would mean that all your kids are nuts. It just fell down and that's it. <laughs> Uh, let's get to the scripture. Romans chapter 12, uh, within the back portion of Romans, there are five one another texts. I'd like to briefly look at them. And uh, as John read for us, uh, it's by the grace, in verse 3, by the grace given to me, I said, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. It's important that you're here. But I can attest the fact that I was once here, and then the Spirit of God, you know, moved me on, and I was here no longer. Do you see how well the church did when I left? <laughs> Got another sanctuary, stayed there worshiping for a while. Now you're in this big one, and, you know, isn't that good? And, you know, John, you're going to move on, and they're probably going to build another building, uh, you know, a generation from now, and we, we'll rejoice. We'll probably be in heaven watching it, but we'll rejoice. We're members of one another. But the problem, Paul saw a problem in that in church, and, and Stan Ott this morning gave a, a wonderful message in the uh, Sunday school class, and he talked about pride for a little bit and how so many of us have that. So Paul reminds us as members of one another that we ought not to think so highly of ourselves as if the church simply couldn't survive without us. It reminded me of a story about a frog that went to a fortune teller. And uh, she's looking into her crystal ball and just kind of gazing into it. And she says to the frog, you're going to meet a beautiful young woman. From the moment she sets her eyes upon you, she'll have an insatiable desire to know all about you. She will be compelled to get close to you. You'll really, truly fascinate her. Oh, the frog got so excited, he said, where is it going to happen, in a singles club? She said, no, in biology class. (laughs) 
the church has never been about me. The church is about others, okay? Uh, we shouldn't think uh, how, you know, that we're all that. God has blessed you. He said in that very passage, we've been given a gift of faith. We've also been given other gifts to, so that the body functions. It's not just one person exercising gifts. You know all that, so let's move on. We want to be members of one another. Now, the second thing um, is that we want to love one another. Okay, Brian, you with me? There we go. Oh, that's three. Let's go to the second one. There we go. We've got to love one another. And um, did you know in the New Testament we're commanded and there's probably a good reason he had to command this, you know, because we don't do this so easily. But 15 times God commands us to love one another. And Paul, in, in Romans here, gives us some of the attributes of the kind of love that God expects us to give one another. It, it's not romantic, you know, it's not hearts and flowers and all that kind of stuff. Look with me to verse 9 through 13 as he describes this love. And I have to drink some water. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful, lazy. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. That's a loaded uh, portion of Scripture. But this is the kind of love he expects from us. It ought to be genuine. It ought to be authentic from the heart. You know, I still remember Betty Barnes. Susan introduced me to her. Betty Barnes just said, this is your friend, your boyfriend. Oh, he's lovely. And she gave me a big hug. That's weird. I mean, when you're out in the street, that's weird. Okay, people actually hug you just because you're there and because God's in them. I just love that. I, I, you know, uh, we've been doing some farming lately, Sue and I, and... Um, we were going to this marketplace on Wednesdays in Barnegat, New Jersey, near their old farm we had. And there was a gal there who, I got to tell you, you know, she cussed like a sailor. Worse than a sailor. I heard words coming out of that girl's mouth I hadn't heard in 20 years. And oh my gosh, you know. And, and the way she dressed was not very, I, I had to talk to her like this, you know. So I wasn't looking at the things I shouldn't be looking at. And I don't know why, anyway. Um, but you know, she got sick. And my lovely wife was talking to her, and, and when the girl told her about these uh, health problems, my wife said, you know, uh, God, sometimes God heals people. And I don't know if he'll do it for you, but would it be okay if I prayed for you and asked God to heal you? She had a quizzical look on her face, but she said, well, yeah, I guess I'll be okay. Susan prayed for her, and when she finished the prayer and said amen, the woman was crying. She said, oh, I'm sorry, did I offend you? She said, no, but no one has ever prayed for me in my entire life. That's out in the world. People don't hug you just to be kind to you. They hug you because they want to pick your pocket, you know? They, they, nobody prays for them. They're lonely and they're hurting. 
And boy, you get them into a place like this, and when I walked into the doors, I, I just was blown over. And that's what allowed me to listen to the words the pastor was teaching from God's Word. It got me excited to read the Bible, because actually this was said in, in Stan's class. I want what they got. That's my exact word. Whatever they got, I want it. I don't know how you get it, but I'm going to get it. It took me six months. You know why? Because I was watching everybody to see if it was authentic, if it was genuine love. He also says in verse 10, this love should be a brotherly affection. Now, if you wouldn't mind, would you just kind of look at the people sitting around you? These are your brothers and your sisters. These are your relatives. I found out in life, you can stop being a friend with someone, but you can never stop being a relative. And that's scary because, like me, you probably have some weird relatives, right? When I was a boy, my dad's older brother, Uncle Ed, we'd go to his house, and Uncle Ed was a rather robust guy, and, and he smoked these big cigars that were really stinky. Uh, but he, he would see me, and he'd say, Oh, come over here, boy. Come here, come here, come here. And he'd grab me by the head, put me in a headlock, and take that wet end of that cigar out of his mouth and stick it in my ear. that's weird. <laughs> I hated that. But you know what? Today, all these years later, if I smell a cigar, I think about how much my Uncle Ed loved me. Because weird as he was, he loved me. And that is weird. And standing here, I can see some of you are probably thinking about doing that. <laughs> Guys, do not do that to your wife. She won't appreciate it ever. So... We've got some weird relatives in the church. But Paul says we've got to love them as well. And I think probably instead of thinking so-and-so is weird, maybe we ought to think so-and-so is unique. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Yeah, I've got this friend Bob down at the church. Well, he's unique, you know. It kind of helps you out to love them a little bit. But we're to, to love them. In verse 11, he tells us some more about how to love them. He says, let us outdo one another in showing honor. It's neat here. You've got so many greeters now, you know. Uh, but the greeter is one of the most important aspects of a church fellowship. Because if people don't feel welcome when they come in, they probably won't come in. Or if they come in, they won't come back. It's really important, and I love it here. I had like three people trying to give me a bulletin. I said, I only got two eyes. I'm sorry. You, you, you give yours to somebody else. No, I didn't say that. But uh, everything else I tell you is true. But once in a while, I do exaggerate. Um, we got to outdo one another in sh showing honor and in serving the Lord by serving one another. It's hard to serve the Lord. You know, he's in another dimension. I, I don't physically see him, but I see you who he calls his bride, and we can serve one another. Amen? And then he says uh, about being hospitable. We rejoice with people in hope. We're patient with them. We're, we're praying for them. We're giving so that this whole thing works, and we're being hospitable. Uh, I would just want to encourage you, if you've never done this, look around the church, maybe not this week, maybe next week, but sometime this month, uh, invite somebody out to lunch. And you pay for it. 
Now, I'm going to make the treasurer and the consistory nervous, but, get, you know, listen, if you're so broke and you're penny-pinching, use the money you'd have put in the offering to take somebody out. It pays off because then they'll get saved and they'll give more anyway. But go feed somebody, you know, be hospitable. I learned so much about hospitality when I lived in the Middle East. Boy, they would, you know, you'd go to the door and they'd come in, they'd greet you with a little kiss on the cheek, and then they'd get a glass of water because it's hot, and then they'd offer you some chocolate. Uh, one house I went to, this guy was kind of rich, but he had a whole jar, uh, uh, excuse me, a whole shelf of jars of perfumes. And it was like watered-down perfume and stuff, but he would put some on his hand and put it on your face. Now, I know it wasn't that I smelled bad because he had the whole rack there, you know, so he did this for everybody. But it's like an, a refreshing thing. Boy, I learned about hospitality there. You know, I came back from Egypt years ago, and uh, Barbara Weller took me to uh, see some guy that was in one of the seminaries local here, and he was uh, moving, and we needed a place to stay. You know, it was in the middle of July. That man did not offer us a glass of water. There was no chocolate. He certainly didn't want to kiss me, which is probably good, uh, uh, and there was no refreshing. Hospitality is an important aspect of being part of this body. Uh, we were challenged or invited a few minutes ago to stand up and greet somebody. Some of you were so excited, you got out of your seat and ran across the aisle, you know? And I didn't look today, but when I was a pastor back in Bahrain, I'd watch the people, you know? There's some people, okay, everybody, get up and greet one another. They put on their pickle face. Well, I wonder if anybody will come over and greet me. This isn't a very friendly church. Nobody got out of their seat to greet me. Don't do that. Get up. Give somebody a hug. You know, um, be hospitable. And getting back to taking them out to lunch, you know, in Arabic, the classic word, uh, in classic Arabic, the word for bread is aish. And it's the same exact word for life, aish. So Jesus says, Anna... I'm the bread of life. And when we break bread together, and we're doing it because we love Jesus and we know he loves us and we're to love that other person, life happens. And new life can be transferred as we're hospitable to one another. I got to move on. Uh, try that. Third thing, live in harmony. There we go. Live in harmony with one another. Uh, now, if you were to look at the dictionary, harmony is defined as a pleasant combination of different notes of music played at the same time. And, you know, I love worship, and worship, if, if I can get off on missions for a second, you know the one thing that uh, Muslims don't do? They don't worship like we do. A lot of uh, cults and things, they don't have this time of just singing praises to God. Uh, worship is a good thing, so never be afraid to bring your unsaved or uh, friends or people from another religion here uh, because they're going to hear this harmony. And oftentimes, being a pastor, I always sit up front, but oftentimes uh, when they were singing, I would just close my eyes and stop singing and just listen. Oh, the bride of Christ has such a beautiful voice, doesn't she? Uh, there's that harmony. But Paul is not talking about musical harmony. He's talking about harmony in his life. Let's look at verse 16, if we will. Um, live in harmony with one another. There again, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 
Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. How harmonious would that be? That'd be terrible. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Harmony. To live in harmony with one another within the church. We were laughing at consistory because there's an old saying, wherever you have people, you have problems. And the old pastor, the old cranky pastor that was baptized in pickle juice, he said, you know, church would be a great place if it just weren't for all those people. Live in harmony with one another. And for a moment, let's take that harmony out of the church and put it in the home. I'm sure all of your homes are full of harmony, right? Oh, yes. Amen. This is a woman who must have had teenagers. I'll tell you, if you have teenagers, they're probably not going to be harmonious all the time because they change from one minute to the next. My middle child came into my room one time, she, in my little office. I think she was about 17 or 18, and this sweet little flower came in, and she was so sweet, and I was so proud that my wife and I had made her. Oh, man, we did a good job. And she went out of the room. Something happened. She came back in as the Wicked Witch of New Jersey. I didn't know what happened. So harmony is difficult. I've been married 43 years. I just actually told you, I confessed earlier, my wife thinks I'm fat. I can't stand that, you know? You're fat, great. I'm going to John's. He's got cookies. <laughs> and I didn't bring any cookies. I hope you're okay with that. Uh, but we have disagreements. Why is that? It is because, uh, you know... Jesus had to pray in John 17 about our disharmony. That's what he, we read there. He was praying about his followers that they'd be one, even as he and the Father were one. It's because we're different. We're diverse. We have different gifts. We have different priorities and interests. But that can be harmonized to make something beautiful, which is called the church. Unity and diversity. I like to tell people over here, in Bahrain, our church was an international church. We had people I met, I kept a list of them, 70 different nationalities at one time or another were meeting together in that church body of about 200 people. 70 nationalities. And one of the elders said to me, if you think that's interesting, there's probably 10 times as many denominations were sitting there together. Think about that for a while. You know, we had Calvinists, and we had Armenians, and we had Orthodox, and you name it. Catholics came, uh, all kinds of Protestants, and, but yet we had unity in our diversity. One of the things that helped us uh, was something I like to share wherever I go. Uh, it's a quote that's attributed to uh, Augustine. We adopted it as our motto. It says, in the essentials, unity. I think we, we got that on a slide, right? Put it up there, please. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. 
The essentials you usually say here in the Apostles' Creed. You can find, if you don't believe what's in the Apostles' Creed, I'm sorry, you're not a Christian. Meet with one of the elders. They'll tell you how to become one. If you don't believe the things that are... It's, it's, I mean, that's like the nutshell right there. You've got to at least believe that to be called a Christian. But then there's a whole lot of other things in the Bible that maybe they apply to a different time, a different context. You've got to sort it out. And that's where the challenge comes, because we expect, if I'm a believer, everybody should be exactly like me. And that was never God's intention. He seeks a unity amongst our diversity so the many gifts will come together and be a beautiful blessing. Amen? Because that's the last part of it, in all things charity. You've got to love the people that are a little different than you. And if we listen and get to know them, you know what happens? We actually stretch a little bit. And maybe we'll grow a little closer to God. Next one. Let's do one more. Admonish one another. Instruct one another. Uh, let's look at verse 13 of chapter 15. Okay, I'll jump to chapter 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. And, and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Brothers and sisters, we need the Holy Spirit to do the things that he's asking us to do. It's not so easy sometimes. But he goes on and says, I, in first, verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I like that. Gives me hope. We're able to instruct one another. You know, um, teaching is not the easiest thing in the world, uh, uh, or maybe I should say not the most satisfying thing in the world, because you don't always see immediate results. If you asked me to be here and paint a room, and I did it, and I did it well, I could stand back and say, Hey, look at that nice room. I, I did something, and it, it, it looks good. But when you're teaching, especially if you're teaching children, you may not see the result of that for many years. But still, you're called to teach and keep pouring in to those kids. I, I read a, about a story about, a, uh, this is from the Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, and it tells a story of a Jewish sage called Chani Hamagel. One day, Hamagel was walking along a road and he saw a man planting a carob tree. He asked him, how long does it take for this tree to bear fruit? The man replied, 70 years. Hamagel smiled and chuckled and he said, well, are you certain that you will live another 70 years? And the man replied, well, you know, I've found and eaten from grown carob trees that were planted by my forefathers. For me. So I'll, I too plant these for my children and my grandchildren. This would be a good time to ask you what kind of seeds are you planting out there in life? Are you planting? Are you instructing, admonishing, teaching, pouring in to that next generation? Because if we're not, there won't be a next generation. We pour into them. What a privilege. What a privilege. 
passing that knowledge on. And I love it there, the way he described this. It's so simple to be a teacher. He said, I'm satisfied. You're full of goodness. What goodness are you full of? Even Jesus said, no man is good. Well, you're full of the goodness of God. As you let it be poured into you, you're full of the goodness of God, that love that he's given us, that joy, that hope. And, and he says, we're filled with knowledge. Well, what knowledge do you have that everybody else out there doesn't have? You have the knowledge of God's word. If you know John 3.16, you know more than three-fifths of the people on this planet. Go tell somebody. Because they need to know that God loved them. Because they're hurting. And you ought not to be hurting because you know God loves you. How deep the Father's love for us. I started crying when they started singing that. How deep the Father's love for us. Who could fathom that? But he does. So we've got that. We have that love. We're full of that goodness. We're filled with knowledge. And then he says we're able to instruct each other, one another. And I'll tell you, I, I teach online at a Bible seminary and Sometimes those fellows can't make a complete sentence. But teaching can be as simple as making a complete sentence or a complete paragraph and not to ramble like I'm doing and get on with your message. So we can do that. Let's get on with it. Last one, promise. Number five, no, next, next one, there you go. Okay, the fifth one another is to greet one another. We talked about this a little bit. Over in chapter 16, this is the way Paul ends his letter in verse 16. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. There's an admonishment. It's actually said four times in the New Testament. So, you know, when I was growing up, if my father ever had to say something twice, I better do it because he didn't say it three times. That's when the belt came off his, his waist. Well, we don't want to go there. But God is saying this four times, so it's got to be important, right? And he says, greet one another four times. And these are not romantic, sloppy kisses. Uh, this, and, and that's important, too, because you, you need to learn to read your Bible in context, okay, and understanding, understand the culture in which it was written and understand what he's really saying. Now, living in the Middle East, I got to tell you, I've been kissed by a lot of men. But they don't kiss me on the lips. We're not going there, okay? They kiss you on each cheek. And there was something I found out years ago. Uh, actually, our first mission trip, we were smuggling, smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe, and this guy got so excited about the books that we had brought to him for, to teach the kids the Word of God, and he grabbed me, and he went, mwah, mwah, and rubbed his face on my face, kissing the air, but he hadn't shaved in about three days. Do you guys notice how clean-shaven I am today? My wife doesn't like hairy faces. She goes, you know, whiskers hurt. And if you want to keep kissing me, shave. Well, I went 43 years to turn into 45 or 50, you know, with kisses. I'm not ashamed of saying that. So, fellas, if you're going to do this and do the holy kiss, shave. Be nice to people. But that's what they do. They kind of brush their cheek on you, and that's a holy kiss, and, and they greet you. But really, uh, in our cultural context, that doesn't happen. So this verse could actually read, give one another a really good handshake. Or it might play out by, 
putting your arm around somebody and say, man, it's good to see you. You know, I, hugging somebody, that's acceptable. Uh, some of the guys at the consistory, you know, they, they might do the Bubba belly bounce. You ever, you know, where two guys run across the room and bounce off each other? Yeah, I saw that happen, and one of the elders said, no, don't be teaching on gluttony here. We're blessed. I say, okay, that's good. But we do those kind of things. And the whole idea is just to simply greet one another warmly and genuinely. And it's part of our rituals when we get up. And like I said, please don't be the one just standing there judging everyone. Push it aside. I had a lady in my congregation years ago. She didn't like being touched, and she didn't like touching anybody. And when she heard me give a message about, you know, being greeting one another and all that, she said, I'm going to try it. You know, a couple years later, somebody said to me, oh, you know why I came back to church? I said, why? He said, it was because of the huggy lady. I said, what? The huggy lady? What? And he pointed her out. It was that same lady. She loves hugs. She hugs everybody now, and it's just wonderful. So greet one another enthusiastically. In closing. We've been talking about these one another's, and I, I just want to point out to you that these verses, although they're spread throughout the New Testament, they're not just thrown out there, they're anchored in something. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I live on this farm, and uh, a couple months back, I was walking out there, and I had my hands full of stuff, I couldn't put it down, and I had to walk through an arbor, and I wasn't paying attention, and I walked right into the middle of the biggest spider web you'd ever want to see. All over my face. You know those hairnets they wear at McDonald's and restaurants? That's what my face looked like. And it was just, oh, it was horrible. It was gooey and nasty, you know. But, uh, you know, I didn't get mad at the spider because that's how the spider gets fed. And, and I was kind of mad at myself for being such a dummy. But then I thought about it, and I thought, the reason that spider web didn't break right away uh, so easily is because a spider web has to be anchored to something else. It's not just hanging out there. These one another verses were not just tossed out there willy-nilly. They're anchored. What are they anchored in? Stan began the message this morning with this passage of Scripture where Jesus was asked the two most important commandments of all the commandments. And he gave folks what is called the great commandment. I'll read it to you. You know it, but I'll read it to you from Mark 12. Jesus said the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's one anchor for this beautiful web of verses about one another. It's anchored in loving God. He gives you the power to love. And then he goes on, Jesus goes on, and he says the second commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. These are the anchors. Bear with me for a minute. Could you do it if you're physically able? Could you raise your hand up in the air? You're lifting it up to God. You know, here I am, Lord. Fill me up. And then take that other hand, and if you're close enough to somebody, reach over and touch them. That's a great commandment right there. Now, unless you have arthritis, that really wasn't very hard. 
We need to be anchored in this Christian life with these commandments. We need to love God and then love one another. It's that simple. So remember that, and this church will indeed continue to be like a forest of majestic redwood trees, deeply rooted, so much, intertwiningly rooted, so that you will remain strong against adversity, strong in faith, strong in hope, and strong in love. Will you stand and allow me to pray for you, please? Father God, we are so grateful for your love. And Lord, we unabashedly can say that we love you because of all the goodness you bring into our lives. Oh, how thankful we are. And we know as individuals, Lord, you'd have gone to that cross for every one of us. And even if it was just one of us, you'd have gone because your love is so strong. We thank you for that. But you loved us so much, Lord, that you didn't leave us out there independently in the world, but you gave us this beautiful body of believers, members of one another, Lord, with various gifts and, and, and levels of faith, Lord, with, with a lot of love, Lord. And I just got to thank you again for that. Bless this body of believers. May Lighty's church be known as that huggy church, just like the huggy lady. Lord, may they, may they just grow tall in the community, uh, not with a big spire on the church, but the fact that their love and their brightness and their strength in God goes out into this community. Southerton area needs you, Lord. But in all places in this community, I pray right here in these rooms that your love will just shine like the morning sun. Bless the people uh, in Jesus' name. And, I, and again, Lord, I thank you that Lighty's Church will forever hold a big chunk of my heart because somebody got out of their pew and came over and hugged me. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.